This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, Charles the Fourth, or is it the Third? Bloody bitch. We will strive for the denazification of the Let me put it to you. Just a conqueror. Yes, you If you win by one, you've won. The phone went over the side of the phone. It is time to destroy the I just think everyone should be sure. What the fuck is going on? Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to my podcast this week. Coming from the Hayes Literary Festival, which means that now I'm asking, in a literary sense, what the fuck is going on? How is it we're only just now starting to have an inquiry into what happened with COVID? It's nearly two years since the last lockdown ended, one of the biggest events in the last century, and the inquiry hasn't yet started. When it's finished, will we go now? The Second World War. What happened there then? And now it's being delayed even more because the government is taking its own inquiry to court. It appointed a judge and now it's going, hang on, we can't trust this judge. We don't like the questions she's asking. Next week, they'll insist the judge is replaced by Alfie, a toy panda who lives in a sideboard in Grant Shapps' bedroom, who's been advising the Foreign Office since 2012. There was the same when Sue Gray was running the investigation into the parties in Downing Street and the government said, this isn't fair, she's biased, after they had appointed her. I suppose their argument is, we can't trust people that we appoint, we're idiots. In particular, the government doesn't think it should hand over its WhatsApp messages because they're private. And you can understand this because there's no need to look at private things when you're investigating. If the police are investigating a murder, they always say to the accused, uh, just show us the things that you don't mind showing us uh, that aren't in any way private. I mean, maybe there's a, a funny YouTube clip of a, an otter that climbs onto a bus. <laughs> uh, but on no account, show us anything that might help us work out if you had anything to do with the murder. I mean, after all, murder's bad enough as it is, isn't it, without, uh, without it causing any embarrassment. Some of the issues to be investigated will take exhaustive detective work. For example, our Prime Minister, he insisted he always followed the science. So the inquiry will have to work out whether he did, in fact, listen to the scientists about how COVID could be spread. Now, the only clue so far is that right from the start, doctors warned the disease was highly contagious. So Boris Johnson insisted on ignoring them and shaking hands with a crowd of people who he knew had COVID, insisting he couldn't possibly catch COVID off them like that, and as a result, caught fucking COVID. 
it will take an investigator of extreme skill to winkle out whether he did anything wrong there, won't it? And in any case, it would be wrong to include that episode in the inquiry as it was private. Similarly, he made a speech one month before the lockdown in which he insisted there wouldn't be a lockdown and Britain would take advantage of this, emerging like Superman, he said, as the only country that stayed open. And one of the tricky tasks of the inquiry will be assessing whether that worked out as planned. Something that makes it even harder for the inquiry is that all the people in charge of the government were such honest characters who were renowned for their integrity. If any of us were asked to think of three people more trustworthy, could we possibly come up with more reliable figures than Boris Johnson, Dominic Cummings and Matt Hancock? Instead of asking questions, we should just listen to whatever it is they say and take their word for it. What the fuck? The phone tapping scandal continues to have repercussions, with compensation cases being heard now in the courts. And this has caused a great deal of concern to many people, especially this woman, who I heard on a phone-in show. Oh, I'm sick of it, Jeremy, sick of it. All this phone tapping. And now they're giving them compensation. Millions of pounds they're getting. And who's paying for that? We are. Just because I want to buy their newspapers to find out what Prince Harry's been up to, how's that fair? Oh, we'd all like some compensation. Why don't they hack into my phone calls to the council? I rang them last week to complain about next door's cat. I said they haven't got planning permission for it. They said it's a cat. You don't need planning permission for pets. Oh, any excuse. Next, they'll be giving it benefits. Long-term disability whisker allowance because it can't be bothered to catch mice. Oh, I'm sick of it, Jeremy. That Graham Norton's the worst. I saw him the other day talking to Benedict Cumberbatch and Reese Witherspoon. He was recording every word. Didn't even try to hide it. There were cameras, wires going everywhere. I'll expect they'll be getting compensation now. I said to your researcher, Jeremy, you better not be phone-tapping me. She said... What would be the point of that? It's going out on the radio. Oh, no, it's not. I didn't phone up a phone-in show so you could stick it out on the radio. You'll be hearing from my nephew, Jason. He spends all his time with lawyers. Oh, I'm sick of it, Jeremy, sick of it. Oh, what the fuck, oh, what the fucking fuck is going on? You can't work out what the fuck is going on without expert advice and... Usually, I'll be honest with you, every week I say, and I'm so lucky to have people, but usually we're scraping the barrel, I'll be honest with you. But (laughs) not this week. Robin Ince, who is an expert on everything because he's read all the books. Right now he's got a book about Eric Sykes. There must be a thing he didn't know about Eric Sykes and that was troubling him. Hello, Robin. Yeah, I was worried that because obviously I've been to the Eric Sykes bar that I'm sure you've been to at Lincoln Theatre Royal. So I thought I need to know more about Eric and because uh, of his brilliant performance in Son of Rambo. Have you seen Son of Rambo? I've not seen it's Son of Rambo. It's a wonderful, lovely film. And it's uh, it, it's all about a couple of kids who get a video camera and decide they're going to make a sequel to Rambo. Oh, and it's what a brilliant idea. absolute delight, yeah. Yes. I remember reading an, uh, an interview uh, with... Eric Sykes, and uh, it just said the first thing that he said was, "I was pl- I, w- I had dinner with a a chess player last night. It took him twenty minutes to pass the salt." And I thought that, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that, that probably was how he spent his whole life was just doing jokes like that. Yeah, it? yeah. No, yeah. I think I think there was there's such joy in him 
And that bit where they go, well, of course, Eric in his later life was still great at doing slapstick, though um, he was totally blind. And of course, it's like being, he was also totally deaf. And you go, well, how, how did he do all these things? You know, and, and I know there used to be that Friday. Well, it's easier to do slapstick uh, when I'm you're totally blind and deaf. Blind, yeah. uh, which, of course, means I have uh, very, very sharp hearing, but also I'm totally deaf. That, of course, means I've got very, very good eyesight. But slapstick would be easier if you're blind and deaf because you keep fa- falling over naturally, didn't you? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, but that, do you know what the slapstick, the point is that if it ends in death, that often decreases the laugh, doesn't it? Well, it can do. I know that's one of the first rules in comedy, isn't it? So, anyway, the reason we get talking about Eric Sykes is just that happens to be the book that is uh, that is right well, next to you at the moment. This was to me by someone, uh, a guy called Matt yesterday. He picked up from the Oxfam that's in uh, on Hay on Wine. And the reason is because of the inscription. Because it just has this nice script. It says, Dad, I remember you laughing at all those old black and white Sykes comedies. And I thought you might enjoy this. And it's just from from all the kids. And it's just that thing where there's a little bit of a story of, you know, I've been talking about this when we talked about my, my Bibliomaniac book, which is books become this brilliant palimpsest where there's just things overwritten where you find a book and maybe it's got a train ticket in it. Maybe it's got a postcard in it. Maybe it's got a flower. Well, let me in just it. introduce this bit because uh, I was performing myself at the uh, here at the Home Way Literary Festival uh, last night as we sit here and I had the joy of waiting for you talking to Mark, Marcus Brigstock for the hour beforehand and it was amazing it was a really really pretty and, uh, I mean it, for so many reasons but one of the things that I and I think the audience really loved this was when you were talking about uh, your book was exactly that and in particular like books that had a, that added something to the relationship with your father yeah yeah, yeah. My, my my dad died a few weeks ago, and uh, books had always been, especially in the last few years, they've been the way that we communicated with each other all the time, uh, because he was no longer able to get out, and so I would always go, I'd buy him books every every time I went to a second hand bookshop, I'd find one that I thought he'd like, right. And so when I'd then get them, you know, take them back to him, and we'd have a little chat, and we, you know, we, he wasn't the kind of father who'd say I love you or anything like that, but the love was all there in the sharing of books, and then. Um, I can't remember if I mentioned it on stage or not, but you know when he was dying and we were just sat around him and as he faded out, we were reading his favourite books to him. You know, didn't know whether he could hear anymore or what was going on, but it felt like there was a sense of ritual and ceremony as we read. You know, read things like *Tark of the Otter*, which he loved, and and *The Hobbit*, and uh, and little bits from *Matter of Life and Death*. And it was just, you know, it was such an important thing. Amazing. Oh, two things to say to that to to completely destroy the wonderful poignancy of it. You know the bloke who wrote Tark of the Otter was a fascist? Well, now, not a full fascist, right? All right. He was one of those, you know, in the early 30s. There were <laughs> the Otters? Yeah, yeah. represented the Jews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, well, that would have made them resilient and ultimately victorious, right? Oh, right, yeah, because, oh, right, no, no, they wouldn't. This, this is yet they again more... shown how your Trotskyist mind will do anything to sully the wildlife writers. <laughs> um, but it was, uh, yeah, so I, I, he definitely did have some flirtation with that. But I don't think, I'm not entirely sure, but I I, I, I think that he kind of, uh, in the early 30s, like a lot of them went, oh, you know what, there seems like some jolly good things are going on in Germany. Oh, I, think there, I, was, I think there was a oh. lot of jolly good things. The reason is because he, um, he came from sort of the Torrington area. That's and when right, I did a yeah. show in Torrington and I was doing a live version of the in-town things, I looked up to him. One of the things was uh, how they revere him. And uh, despite the fact that he wrote, and I found some quotes that were sort of, that were just flirtation flirtatious a little bit with fascism on the lines of Hitler's doing a marvellous job, that sort of thing that would in certain circumstances lead you to think he had 
some sort of affection. Oh, I think he was probably quite right wing. Yeah, but I don't think. I think he was. I think he was more flirty. You know that nice kind of thing. You know, as Portillo runs his hand over your cash. Oh, yes, yeah, so you just flirty, flirty old Portillo. Oh, Goebbels, you really are a tease. That sort of thing. Well, what's that, Hitler? I'm just wondering, can you just check? I think I have a little bit of porridge still in my moustache. Could you just wipe it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that. Okay. Nonetheless, you know, very nice that you read out uh, um, the book by a fascist to your dad in his last moments. He was 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 probably, you know, (laughs) going to sleep. And and he'd always been a big fan of Pol Pot. So he... And I said, now, Father, you're finally meeting your year zero. And I could soon see him smiling as he drifted off to heavenwards. Yeah, yeah. I've left it. I've actually left for my son, uh, Elliot, that when in my last moments, I want him to read out the the works of Robert Mugabe. Yeah. <laughs> What's the other thing I was going to say? Something, 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 something else. Oh, fuck. Oh, yeah, right. My dad, the idea of my relationship with my dad having any connection whatsoever with books, this was the, this was the, um, this was the literary background to my uh, upbringing. So there was a bookcase. There was that. I'll give him that. The top shelf of the bookcase had three or four sort of little uh, jugs that had come back from Clavelli or Bournemouth or something like that and were full of elastic bands. The second shelf had uh, eight or nine copies of the Reader's Digest. Yeah. I did read them all. I couldn't make sense of any of it. And then the third, the bottom one was empty. The third shelf had uh, the A to Z of gardening that he'd signed up for. In those days, you used to get uh, new. The uh, A to Z of gardening comes in 763 parts. You can learn. Oh, hang on a minute. Uh, your other producer's ringing. Oh. Hey, Carl, I'm just doing a podcast with Mark Steele. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Right. We're currently listening. Now, this is modern broadcasting. Just uh, yeah, this is Carl Cooper who yeah. does such an amazing job of uh, of producing uh, yeah. Mark's in town. Tell him he's interrupting my fucking anecdote. Yeah, he's really annoyed because Mark's doing this most brilliant anecdote. You know, one of those ones that drags on and then he loses <laughs> point halfway through something that's never happened to me. Of course, I'm very much a through line with the narrative. Um, shall I call you back in ten minutes? Oh, we're at the Hay Festival, so I'm sure there's car parks at the Hay So, So just see signs for the Hay Festival. Like, you go straight through town. Oh, okay. Yeah, just park your car and I'll, and I'll find you. Somehow. You see a bike? Somehow. The world, the world of broadcasting has gone full circle, because that's something that would have happened in about 1952, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're currently coming to you from the Hay on Wild Literary Festival, and I have to tell you that uh, right at the moment, um, well, I can... I can see Harold Macmillan, and yeah. he's just arriving. Uh, <laughs> Josephine Tay looks very angry. <laughs> uh, anyway, your you, anecdote. Yes. Do your anecdote. Hugh Gatescon has asked me if he can borrow some trousers for his speech this afternoon. He seems to have forgotten them. Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, so there was a, the A to Z of A to Z of gardening, and he got up to about E or F or something. Fox gloves, fuck them, don't need all them. And then, um, and that was it. So there was probably about 16 sort of, of these things in a leather bound thing. And that was it. That was all the books there, there were in the house. I don't recall my dad ever reading a book. I don't recall my mum ever reading a book. Um, 
we read the paper to get the sun. That's it. I've absolutely exhausted all the literature of my youth. I read when I was doing the French book about the French Revolution. I read loads of books about the French Revolution, and one about um, one about Madame Roland, who was uh, one of the sort of more conservative. She was a revolutionary, but more conservative one, and ended up guillotined. She's a a great. Tragedy, really, that people like that were. And she wrote various feminist sort of writings and so on. And she became a, a, a lesbian in the last two or three years of her life. It's sort of the sort of life you expect to read from, you know, about something that happened in the, I don't know, the bohemian sort of, that's a terrible word, isn't it? But, you know, sort of liberal circles of, mm. I don't know, of the, the, um, Bloomsbury set or yeah, something, yeah. but it was in the 1780s, 1790s. And in the margins of the book where she's, um, where she, the, the biographer is writing about uh, uh, moving in with a with a, a woman lover, someone has written disgusting exclamation. <laughs> <laughs> well, who was that? Who that? Oh my God! I mean, it's one thing of supporting the violent overthrow of the aristocracy, but fiddling about with another woman. See, that's what I love. What I love is when you find a book where there's only one thing underlined or one exclamation mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I, I picked up, I was in a bookshop near, near Marlborough Station in London, and uh, I ended up buying what turned out to be Dennis Norden's copy of The Rationale of the Dirty Joke. <laughs> yes, and it only it. has one joke underlined in it. And I should remember which, but, but the fact that, you know, Dennis has gone all the way through this Freudian examination of rude jokes. And then gone, yeah, that's the one I'm going to share with Frank. You know, that, that that's a fantastic thing. And I might have mentioned to you before, I can't remember if I talked about this when I was in Crystal Palace, but the copy of Mechanics of the Mind, which is this book by Colin Blakemore, his Wreath Lectures, and it has all the way through this man arguing with him, you know, like just, just, just going, this is nonsense. He doesn't understand the hippocampus at all. And then sometimes just an exclamation mark. And then at one point he says, he doesn't even seem to understand buttered toast, which is not linked to anything that's on the page. And then on page he, no, he doesn't really write that. No, this, this is just this, yeah. Oh, yeah, he does. And he then, doesn't and, understand and buttered toast. This man doesn't even seem to understand buttered toast. God. I don't know if this is someone else he's thinking of or whether he's he's reading this over breakfast and he's going, oh, I'd better make a note about the buttered toast as well. And then on page 53, he just writes, I'm going to stop reading now, exclamation mark. And then on page 56, you go, well, that was a lie, wasn't it then? Just great. So someone's, uh, Richard Vine on Patreon, uh, Robin, yeah. has asked this. Uh, I know the world is full of idiots. It's specifically for you. I know the world is full of idiots. I don't. I don't I'm not with him on that. I think the trouble is that the yeah the the, the idiots are amplified at an incredible rate, and yeah. and also a lot of journal. I always love that line that uh, um, Josie Long has about certain a certain kind of journalist that goes. A lot of those journalists are the unimpressive children of wealth. Which I think is an amazing, yes. like, like going. Well, I don't think you're going to do very well actually in the uh, going into physics. I wonder, perhaps you could be a columnist. Actually, I, I think that would be a rather good idea. <laughs> Excellent, absolutely. So yes, I don't think the world is full of idiots, but I know, I know where you're coming from, Richard. But Richard then goes on to say, "Why do the real hardcore Burks still believe the world is flat? If they are correct, what could be outside the dome?" So there's a question. Spe- 
specifically for you. Yeah. Why do people think the world is flat? The trouble is that when we see that question, when we meet those people, we think we can somehow argue with yes. them or explain through evidence. And you really can't. I cannot, I literally cannot understand how you get to that point. I cannot understand because even just looking up at the stars or looking at the planets and things that we can observe through telescopes, the idea that for some reason we're the only flat thing and they'll always find a different alibi for all these things. There is, I, I, I think what it comes down to is People who feel that the world has failed them decide they have to create a grand narrative as opposed to the chaos of just existing. And so the grand narrative is, yeah, well, it turns out everyone's lying and the world's actually flat and blah, blah. And, you know, and, that's, and that makes you seem very important if you're one of the, yeah, the elite exactly. people who You've got the secret. You know, yeah. we haven't landed on the moon, you know. And, and as I was kind of saying the other night when I was somewhere, I was going, the, the danger, no one just believes in one conspiracy theory. If you believe the world's flat, then you don't believe we've gone into space. And before you know it, you don't believe in the Holocaust. And you, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 very, yeah, yeah. And, and I... I, I can, you know, a lot of the kind of conspiracy theorists that I've come across are people who something might have happened in their life where they think that's unfair. Sometimes merely out of arrogance, sometimes out of tragedy. Those two things, both of them can happen. You know, David Icke is a good example of why he's like that. Is that initially, uh, if he really does believe these things, he was going to be a footballer and then he got uh, ill. And he, he was a footballer. A footballer. He was a goalkeeper. Yeah, but, I mean, he was going to be his career was. And was the unfairness that because that was before the days of goal line technology and perhaps a goal was given against him when he was. No, Certain the ball wasn't over the line against Ipswich yeah. in, nine, in 1983, and he thought, "Fuck that! I'm going to say that the world's controlled by lizards." Yeah, or equally, that ball. <laughs> the trouble is, I was basing that on the idea of a curvature of the Earth, uh, but I've now realised if the Earth is flat, I would have actually leaned a little bit further <laughs> to the left and stopped that goal. Oh, I see. Therefore, the Earth is flat. Um, Very final question for you. Today. Yeah. It won't be the final question for you today, uh, Robin, because whatever book you buy in the next half an hour, people will <laughs> yeah. ask you questions about. Robin, I see you have a book on the history of worms. Uh, well, as you know, one of my favourite books is uh, uh, The Formation of Vegetable Mould Through the Action of Worms with Observation on the Habits, which I'm sure you've read because that was, of course, Darwin's last book. In which, uh, Dar Didn't he play a bassoon at worms? He got his son to play the bassoon. Yeah. He took a back seat on the bassoon playing. <laughs> it was like fucking... So, you know, he's, he goes down as a genius. But to me, I don't see how you're a genius if you can't play your own bassoon at Worms. Yeah, that's exactly it, yeah. Uh, Free jazz, it was invented through worm experimentation. Uh, so, But your book is called? Bibliomaniac. And uh, uh, and it's and I've also just done uh, just this week. There's a new edition of I'm a Joke and So Are You, which is my book about kind of yes, how we book. become who we become and, and what we do. And, and I've written like ten thousand new words and bits and pieces for that as well. So that Thank just God come for out because when I read it, I thought could do with an extra ten. Yeah, words. do you know what? I weighed it and I thought this is a light book, isn't it? I think I can find some adjectives I missed. <laughs> Mister Robin Ince, now we know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. What the fuck is going on? 
Here at the Hayon Wine Literary Festival, you bump into all sorts of interesting characters. And one of the highlights this year has been the thrilling session given by Lieutenant Colonel Sir Ambrose Chislers Diplodocus, who is here to publicise his third volume on Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II's favourite cutlery. But he also had time to share with me his thoughts on her successor, King Charles III. Well, I mean, you know, the most wonderful, wonderful facet of the many extraordinary qualities of the new king is that he's, he, he can't do a thing, you know. Absolutely hopeless. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's part of common parlance that he has various valets and equerries that uh, conduct tasks such as squeezing toothpaste onto his <laughs> onto his brush and such manners. But uh, <laughs> and I see this week he's gone hiking there in Romania, which is marvellous from him because he needs a break. And uh, of course, he's never mastered the art of walking, so he has to take a phalanx of valets to do the walking for him. And they set off at a fair old lick all around the countryside of Romania, and they. It keeps him fit, you see, and then and then they tell him of the views that they've seen, the wonderful forests and such things, and uh, it's marvellous because it keeps him in touch with nature, even though he's he's sort of uh, sat inside the chateau and can't can't even can't even get up to get his own cup of coffee, the poor thing. And I mean, it means he's not going to see Harry while he's over here, but that doesn't won't bother him because he's never mastered the art of chatting to his own son in the first place. So I mean, uh, even when Harry was young young sprog i mean uh, <laughs> charles had to second a coterie of emissaries uh, to sort of speak to him there was one occasion when uh, when harry ran into the mail there it was rather dangerous i think there was a lot of traffic about and he, he, he didn't even know how to say don't run into the road he had to contact the duke of wiltshire who came up and told him <laughs> and i rather gather that he's, he's asked or Winfrey if she could come over and talk to him as a father because uh, she managed to speak to him the whole hour which i think charles Never, never managed more than three or four seconds. So, I think he's rather looking to to employ her to come over and and sort of ask how he is and if he needs anything and how things are getting on and whether whether he saw the match on Saturday and such things. But it's such a it's such a wonderful relationship they have in which he's never ever spoken to him because he, he really is a most remarkable but absolutely hopeless. Thank you so much to all those of you who are now supporting us on Patreon. It is because of you that we can continue our quest to discover what the fuck is going on. If you would like to join these wonderful, virtuous, radiant, saintly people for as little as £2 a month, follow the link on our Twitter page or go to www.patreon.com and type in what the F is going on. Or to become amongst the elite historians historically extraordinary people in terms of knowing what the fuck is going on for just four pounds a month you will get a longer ad-free version of the episode with extended interviews and bonus sketches this week for example there's george galloway who's very kindly spoken to us uh, about his views on philip and holly and you will get discounts on live shows which we'll be doing more of later in the year and you will get the episodes on friday nights unlike everybody else who has to wait until saturday mornings begging the government to reverse the changes to the calendar in the 18th century so that Saturday morning comes earlier. So go to www.patreon.com and type in what the F is going on to join the ever-growing WTF community. It has come to the time that, well, not only that I know all people of the podcast world 
tune into uh, excitedly. But this week for me, it, well, it's an honour really because it's the announcements, but it's not just announcements anywhere. I'm sat in a little bit of grass in Hayon Wai at the Literary Festival and I'm just thinking these announcements are being made in the same place that announcements will have been made by, I don't know, the late Martin Amis, Salman Rushdie, probably George Orwell, I would think probably Jonathan Swift in the um, Hayon Wai Literary Festival of 1673. They will all have sat here and made announcements that were probably at the time more popular than anything that they wrote. I would imagine when John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, people probably came and flocked and said, John, ah, yeah, 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 Christian this and bloody overcoming, bloody temptation that, but make some announcements. And he will have said, you know, the fire exits are over there and uh, on Saturday, if you're around, there's a, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a charity event that you can come to, even though you'll have all have left and they'll have just gone home happy having listened to, having listened to all of that. Iris Murdoch, all of them um, over the years. And now I'm going to make the announcement. I haven't really got any, but I will announce to you that there are going to be some live shows uh, later on in the year of what the fuck is going on. And I've still got the last little few shows that uh, for this summer of my uh, an evening and part of the morning with Mark Steele show. Uh, Swindon on the 9th, you can come to that one. Hackney Empire on the on the 8th, this is all of June, and there's Lancaster, Workington, Telford. You can come and come to those. You don't have to live in Lancaster, Workington, and Telford at the moment. They are not city-states with um, drawbridges and stuff like that, like some sort of medieval fiefdom. You're allowed to go there. And then after that, that'll be it. That'll be it until September. <sighs> and then I'll have to have a different set of announcements. Um, now on to the well, always a letdown, really, an anticlimax. But now the letters and the letters, letters, listen to me with me 1950s. And I've had a letter here from Mr. Burke Hampstead of Burke Hampstead. And he says, Mr. Steele, would it be possible to make comment upon the latest vagaries and ramblings of Sir Anthony Eden? <laughs> well, indeed, if we may be so impolite about our, our premier. Uh, yeah, yeah, emails, whatever it is you get, Twitters, in, you know, in TikToks. Uh, so, John Wilkins on Patreon says, with quality guests like this, I may promote the podcast up to third favourite. Oh, I think you're talking about a quality guest of today. Uh, then John goes on to say, what the fuck is going on with WhatsApp becoming the official government tool for communicating policy and decisions with each other? Uh, yes, absolutely, because they're sort of being asked to provide their WhatsApp statements and everything, aren't they? And Boris Johnson, no, I'm, I'm not on WhatsApp. And the the, the uh, when I've made all, all those things on WhatsApp that you could see, that's not by, by a different Boris Johnson and it's not that's on apps. What, which is, uh, and I, I have, uh, I was the king of Thailand um, until 1931, or whatever lies he's telling. But WhatsApp is a, you can't, they can't be admissible in court. I've not really, I've seen WhatsApp, peep street WhatsApp messages, and most of it, do you really want to go? I don't want to go through it at the time, let alone years later. It's just nonsense. It's street WhatsApp. Yesterday I bought a cactus. Does anybody know which way round it should go? Has anyone got a Hadron Collider I could borrow? I've got some particles I need whizzing at the speed of light. 
Does anybody know what that noise was at Bill and Mary's last night? I think it was ostriches. I mean, I, I'm, do you know what? Increasingly, I'm finding I'm not a fan of this government, but please let them not be brought down by bloody WhatsApp. Um, Steve Roy on Patreon says, oh, it's the best podcast out there, Mark. Ooh, thank you. But could you answer these questions? First of all, what the fuck is going on with Phil and Holly? Well, uh, uh, my esteemed colleague, George Galloway, is uh, dealing with that this week on the uh, as part of the sort of Patreon for the Patreon subscribers. But also, yeah, it's, uh, uh, I, I don't, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. They've never been my, <laughs> they've, they've never been my first port of call when it comes to finding out what's going on in the world. Maybe that's wrong. I mean, cause they, I, I, I wonder, I think he's sort of, there are some people, one obvious one who, when it comes to creepiness, it's just unbelievable how we didn't see it all along like if you are for example uh my son or daughter's age they will occasionally ask the question quite reasonably how could your generation not see it with savile how could you not see it he's just i mean uh, the marvelous comic kevin bridges has got this line when he says if someone had never seen jimmy savile in their life and you asked him to draw a picture of a pedophile they would just draw a picture and it would be savile and yet somehow, of course, for all sorts of reasons, you know, there was, after all, uh, a slogan, a very famous saying at the time, children should be seen and not heard. That's how it happened, isn't it? Now, I am not saying that Philip Schofield is Savile. He clearly isn't. <laughs> but he doesn't, he looks like quite a, you know, he looks like a bloke who you just sort of, I don't know, you'd see up up the road and say good morning to, didn't you? I've probably got in all sorts of legal problems here, haven't I? <laughs> now, just to be clear, I'm not saying that Philip Schofield has conducted paedophilia on a massive industrial scale scanning several decades. Just to be clear, I'm not, I'm really not saying that. I'm not even saying it's, it's, I'm not even saying it's 50-50 whether he did it. Not even that. <sighs> Thus it was that Mark Steele was bankrupt. Uh, he's not going to go to court at the moment, is he? Ah, now, Kakistocrat on Twitter says, I love the show. Thank you, Kakistocrat. But what the fuck is going on with your pronunciation of P-U-T-I-N, the man who invaded Ukraine? It really is Putin, says Kakistocrat. Putin. Your Putin is annoying. I'm so sorry, Kakistocrat. You're probably right. You seem to be an expert on the pronunciation of Russian names. He's only been in power 23, 23 years and mentioned mentioned on every bloody news bullet in this last year. I'm really sorry. I had no idea. Do I say Putin? I suppose I do. Well, okay. What the fuck can I do? <laughs> what can I do? I'll have to just go back over everything I've done, like Roald Dahl being having all his stuff reinvented as you know enormous instead of fat or whatever. I'm going to have to go back through everything in the past, and I can only deeply apologise, and also deeply apologise to Mr. Putin because you know I, two wrongs don't make a right, do they? And okay, you know the Ukraine thing is obviously a black mark against him, but there's, yeah, even so, he deserves to have his name read out properly. Oh, what the fuck is, oh, what the fuck is.
Now, as anybody who has ever tried to find out what the fuck is going on while at a literary festival uh, knows, you have to engage younger people. It's no good just old people reading books. That is why I bred someone 26 and four-fifths years ago. Mr. Elliot Steele. Hello. Round of applause across the nation. Where are you today? <laughs> uh, I'm just up, uh, just up the calf doing some writing. Oh, right. Okay. Okay, uh, excellent. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to write a routine about uh, uh, when I went to Las Vegas. Okay, have we talked about that on here? I think we have. Uh, I possibly the routine. I don't know. I'm going to have to change people's names, um, right? Because because I think it involves a war crime. And... <laughs> what did did someone out there sort of? Um, I don't. It started out with a game of pontoon, stick or twist. They said. Anyway, I don't know how it got from there. One thing led to another, and the next thing we'd invaded Guatemala. Yeah, yeah. We we ended up paying homage to that country did Mandalay Bay. No, it was a. Uh, it was all. Um, do, do you know what's mental out there? Is you can see that. Like you just go there and you see it, and they act like nothing ever happened. It's What's that? What the Mandalay Bay was a guy who uh, killed, who shot killed the, those people. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was at Mandalay Bay, which oh, is at right. the bottom of the strip. Right. And then you just go out there, and it's just open for business. Have they got a plaque to him? I don't think. Right. I don't think there's like. I don't know. I don't know. They might name the roulette table after him or something. I don't know. I wasn't sure. We didn't. Go, we didn't really get in there. Because we thought <laughs> we thought twenty four comedians probably aren't going to treat this with the sensitive nature that it probably deserves <laughs> every time we might, nelson walked past and saw it would give each other a little look like hey there it is <laughs> like it's uh, it, it's do you know what it's the equivalent of it's like you you see it when you're there and you're like oh that's what it's kind of like you know when you watch a film that's like made in 1998 and there's a twin towers in it and you can't help right. but go you can't help but go twin towers like you just yes. can't help but do it when i was the right on on september the 12th 2001, I popped into a pub in Crystal Palace that no longer exists. Oh, did that get taken out as well? Was that uh, part yeah. of the... Is that It's outrageous that that's never like mentioned. Building, building, building seven. How did, that, how did the pub in Crystal Palace get taken out <laughs> when it's 3,000 miles away? Yeah, you explain that to me. <laughs> uh, well, it was converted into flats, which I'm not sure happened with the, um, the remains of the Twin Towers, but there was, there was a pub there, and it had a cigarette machine, yeah. uh, as pubs used to have in those days. And some people will remember, of a certain age, they will remember that there was a cigarette machine, and one of the, the cigarette machines often had a sort of landscape of Manhattan, which, of course, included the, uh, the Twin Towers. And the yeah. man who ran the pub, who is, I say, he's no longer with us, uh, he, he was a cork man. Right in front of everyone, he came over and went, there are no result of deer to do. And he went and got a... <laughs> he, he went. He didn't just cross out the Twin Towers. He drew all flames with a big red felt pen coming out. <laughs> I, don't want be, I don't want to be cigarette machine to be able to teach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a ballsy move. But... <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one thing. Is anything else from Las Vegas that you feel you ought to confess? Well, no, it, it's, I, I know I've talked about it on here, but like it is my real feelings towards the city is every bad thing that happens to the West is deserved because of Las Vegas. <laughs> like when you go to Las Vegas, 
you mm. suddenly go, I understand why people hate us. But this is brilliant. This is fantastic. It's the best place on earth because it's the worst place on earth. And you, like, I know you think you wouldn't like it, but you'd get there and you'd go, oh, I hate that I'm enjoying this. I, I wish I was actually left-wing enough to go, this is awful. This shouldn't <laughs> exist. But when you're having a Bloody Mary in a casino at eight in the morning playing <laughs> roulette, <laughs> you go this is fantastic why isn't life like this all the time and then you walk out of the casino and you have to go up there so like the way it works is because the highways and stuff are so big it's just designed for cars so you have to walk up these like steps and walk alongside the road on these bridges to get to anywhere and on these bridges is all of america's mental health problems like right. all of them. <laughs> but where we were was just you just walk out and there's just people going ah Literally, people just screaming. There was one guy who just drew a load of felt tip over his face and was just going, Aah! and you'd have to sort of walk by that and go, geez, how's that happened here? And then walk into a massive casino where there's hundreds of millions of dollars being passed over. And you go, well, well, there's no way to fix that problem, is there? That's just going to happen wherever you no. go. No. Well, that and poor sort of probably, probably bet his felt pen and lose it. I just think everyone has to experience it once. If you if you are if you are from a Western country, I think it's your duty to do a pilgrimage to Las Vegas and understand <laughs> what you live in. Well, it's oh right, right, right. So the sort of opposite of Mecca, where you go yes, there to yes, find yes. spirituality, you go to Las Vegas to find why there is no spirituality. I, I know. I think I think it is a spiritual experience. I would argue it is. I just I think it's like a different kind of spiritual. You know, like Carl Young says, if you want a tree that grows to heaven, you've got to have roots that go to hell. And I think Las Vegas is that. I think you go there and you experience the everything that is wrong and right with our society. You will understand from a walk. You will do the walk from Excalibur to New York, New York, where you go out of this hotel that's shaped like a castle. And across the walk, you'll see just poverty, uh, begging gambling issues someone who's lost it all just um, uh, drugged up americans and then you walk into a casino where you can get on a roller coaster indoors and you experience that within eight minutes like you just go through this experience in eight minutes that i think sums up our society but the thing that it sums up most of all is how much you enjoy it like how much fun it is to walk past all of this chaos and then go, oh, there's a roller coaster that goes indoors. Never mind all that. Yeah, I think that's an important thing that a lot of liberal people, yeah, a lot of liberal people sort of miss that out, really. They go, oh, but it, it's just <clears throat> it's just horror. And, of course, it isn't just hor horror. Otherwise, if it was just horror, then a, a society that, uh, that can only give you horror will collapse fairly quickly. No, so I, even in the most despotic societies, in Stalinist Russia, I think there was a whole layer of people who were doing all right, and that's why it could carry on. Yeah, and um, and so it is. Yeah, and so it is with this. There are people who can go and enjoy the roller coaster indoors, which is why they can turn a blind eye to the man with the felt tip on his face. Yes, but the man with the felt tip on his face was also quite was actually a more scary experience than the roller coaster. Like the roller coaster was this safe, scary experience. Uh, 
But the man with felt tip on his face was a genuine scary experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, God, we if, sort if, of like, if someone from was, Las Vegas hears this, they'll go, hey, let's get the felt tip man and pay him to make sure he goes. And they'll, and they'll end up being like 30 of them up and down Las Vegas to really scare people. And it'll be the felt tip experience and you'll have to pay $50. Well, no, with these people, a lot of the time, you don't have to pay. It's, it's just that I'd really love to take you out there one day, just see what you make of it. Because it's, it's, I know it's not on your destination list. I know it's somewhere <laughs> that has no appeal to you. But I thought Oh, that, no, it and would then I do. Went, I thought, but you don't like to do an in-town show there. <laughs> yeah, you 100% would be. Yeah, but, but well, this is, this is the thing. You'd love old Vegas. Like old Vegas is just this again. It's the the strip itself is quite. I wouldn't say sanitized is the wrong word, but that's more like Vegas being Vegas. And you go to old Vegas and you just go into one of the old casinos, and there's these people who gamble there daily. That's where the people who gamble there daily go. Like they okay, leave Vegas just one second, go, just one second. Who do you think just walked uh, out here? But the producer of Mark Steele's in town, Carl Cooper. Carl, Elliot wants us to do Las Vegas. In town Vegas. <laughs> in town Las Vegas. Yeah. I think I yeah. think you should do it. Yeah. I think I think you did I think you'd I, I don't know where you'd do it because all the casinos that put, put the comedy on, I have friends who perform out there and they go like you they're so strict on set times because they want people to go to watch the comedy show and then get them the fuck out because they're not gambling for an hour. Yeah, so but like, we could do it. Go, Caesar's Palace. Caesar's Palace. They'd let us do it there. What, what, where they have Celine Dion. Yeah, they've got Adele. Celine Dion at the moment, but we could take over <laughs> from her. Is that where, where was Elvis? El, where was Elvis? Was he there? Elvis, Elvis, I believe, was it. But he'd he'd have been in somewhere in old Vegas that won't exist anymore. Uh, like we, all we need is our I own think, colonel. Carl needs to turn into the colonel and not let you perform overseas. <laughs> <laughs> well, the BBC were pretty much like that. They wouldn't let me perform yeah. overseas. <laughs> <laughs> the similarities between Radio 4 comedy and uh, the Colonel <laughs> have long have long since been noticed. Uh, but all oh, right, this is um uh, well a, a fascinating finale to the Hayon Wild Literary Festival episode of What the Fuck is Going On, Mister um, Elliot Steele. Oh, where what what are you doing that people can come to? Are your Edinburgh tickets uh, on sale yet? Yeah? I've got my Edinburgh Fringe show is on sale. I also have a podcast, Beatech Philosophers, which I don't know if your fan base would enjoy it, but uh, it's um, there's a, there's quite a divide in your fan base. I've noticed of like who likes me doing these segments on the podcast and who doesn't one guy tweeted when you put up a thing that is on patreon without adverts when is there an elliot still free version which really made me laugh um but oh, you know well, I, that's already nice yeah yeah but you know what he's some 60 year old who's probably still thinks corbyn's gonna get in so fuck him um <laughs> <laughs> you know fuck him well that's like, that, i wonder if that sort of attitude contributes <laughs> to that sentiment yeah, but fuck it. Do you know what I mean? Like, God bless, God bless your audience. They're nice people, but like, shut the fuck up. He's sixty. <laughs> get off Twitter. Raise your grandkids. The president of America is twenty years older than that. I don't. I don't think he should be. I, I wouldn't listen to him if he gave me advice on stand up either. <laughs> shut the fuck up. There you go, Elliot Steele, as conciliatory as ever. 
Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you've liked it, rate it. And if you can be bothered, write a review. If you can't be bothered, then have a look at yourself. Look in the mirror and have a word with yourself. And say to yourself, the time when you should do something is when you don't want to do it. And spend months writing a review, maybe in a Buddhist retreat. If there is anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, please send me a message on Twitter at WTF is going on pod and we will look at every message that you said. If you would like to become a WTF supporter and get early access to ad-free extended versions for as little as £2 a month, please visit our Patreon page. What the fuck is going on? was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests Robin Ince and Elliot Steele here in the wonderful environs of the Hay Literary Festival. The voices were by Sarah Alexander. It was written by Mark Steele and Pete Sinclair. The music was by Willie Dowling. It was produced by Mike Benwell at Carousel Studio. What the fuck is going on was brought to you by WTF Productions.